exists to express a sacred story and to extend a common table that animate life by love. A primary expression of our sacred story is the weekly sermon. If our sermons inspire you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully, would you consider supporting our work? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. God, in whom we move, breathe, and have our being, wake us to recognize that every person belongs in life, in love, in you. Amen. And please have a seat. We are currently in a sermon series that is exploring our church's values, which in my mind feels really timely for us in the midst of this mind-bending reality that we find ourselves in these days. In light of all that we've been facing, it's our hope here at Pearl that our values can reground and retether us as a community. It's our sincere hope here at Pearl that our values can cast an elevated vision for, for the kind of people that we want to be in this world, no matter what we face in this world. Because you see, when life feels like a ship riding out a wild storm, which it very much feels like that these days, we risk being tossed to and fro without any end in sight. And yet below the surface, like underneath, in the depths, at the soul level of who we want to be despite it all, are our values, which intend to be a clear, steady, guiding pole for us as human beings in this world. And so last week, we considered our value of gratitude. And this morning, we're going to consider our value of inclusion. About this value, we write, Jesus crossed all kinds of borders and barriers, especially to include the outcast and the irreligious. We therefore value making room to include a diversity of backgrounds, views, and convictions, and especially those who are marginalized. I love this value. It's a value that I believe should mark every Christian person in every Christian church, and yet it is not a value that expresses every Christian person or every Christian church. And so to begin this morning, before even getting into the role of religion, I want to begin by saying that inclusion is baked into reality as we know it. Therefore, I believe it's accurate to say as religious people, that inclusion is baked into ultimate reality itself. And by ultimate reality, I mean God. God, ultimate reality, or merely reality, reveals that inclusion, not exclusion, but inclusion, is at the core of existence itself. Let me explain. Biologically, inclusion is defined as a body or particle recognizably distinct from the substance in which it is embedded. Now, that's a mouthful, and we weren't expecting any science this morning. <laughs> I'll read it one more time. Biologically speaking, inclusion is defined as a body or particle recognizably distinct from the substance in which it is embedded. 
And so inclusion, biologically speaking, is not assimilation. That is to say, everything must be the same in order to belong. But rather, inclusion, biologically speaking, is distinctiveness within the substance that it's included within. And this distinctive inclusion, you see, is necessary for the existence of absolutely everything. Everything. Let's start with cells and work backwards. Uh, Cells include molecules. Molecules include atoms. Atoms include particles. In other words, distinctive inclusion. At any point, if a cell were to say to a molecule, I don't want to include you, well, then a cell would cease to exist because the existence of a cell is dependent on its inclusion of molecules. So just for a moment, try and imagine a molecule saying, no thanks, atoms, I don't need you. We don't even have to think about that because if we could, we wouldn't exist because it cannot happen. We can't imagine, of course, that such thinking is what we would call anti-reality. Maybe we could even call that anti-existence. As religious people, maybe we could call that anti-God, who is ultimate reality itself. For without atoms, there are no molecules. Now, molecules are included by cells, and cells are included by tissues, and tissues are included by organ systems, and all of this is included in what we call human beings. So I suppose you could say that our individual existence as human beings is fundamentally grounded in inclusion. Distinctive inclusion is the foundation of our very existence. We are, biologically speaking, inclusive beings. Okay, so let's move from biology to sociology. That's another matter entirely. Uh, You have a different political view. You have a different sexuality. You have a different language. You have a different heritage. You have a different job. You have a different income level. You have a different personality. You have a different TV show. You are different. Different, different, different. I mean, we all have the same uh, organ systems and tissues and cells and molecules and atoms and particles, and we each exist by distinctive inclusion. We are spectacularly and truly similar. Oh, but that thing you think or that thing you do or that thing you say or that way you look or that person you're attracted to, well, that is so different. That's so different. You cannot be included in my country or in my church or in my life. It's a tragic irony, isn't it? That we human beings who exist because of biological inclusiveness struggle so deeply with inclusion. So deeply. Now, in the Bible, there are a lot of stories about this. And this morning, I'd like to tell a few of them. I don't think these stories are going to answer all of our questions or, or solve all of our problems, but like any good story, the stories should stretch us. They should cause us to think. They should incite us into questions and wonder and maybe even evoke some curiosity and quite possibly cause us to grow just a little bit more as human beings in the world. For truly, this is what good stories do. And so we'll start in Genesis chapter 11. This is the biblical story of the other. This is the biblical story of the different. In the beginning of Genesis chapter 11, there is just one people, one humanity. They live together, they share together, they talk together, and they create together. In fact, together, they're able to build a tower high up into the heavens. This tower tells of their power. 
this tower tells of humankind's glory. This power reminds humans of all that they are able to do together. And they think that this tower will keep them from being scattered over the face of the earth. And this is an ancient mythological belief that's perpetuated into today, that building things together can keep us together. But that's not always true. I mean, try as we may, build a country, build a business, build a marriage, build a tower, build a wall to display our power, to display our glory, to separate us from others. And suddenly our building making makes it very clear, very fast, that we are all so different. And in Genesis 11, building the tower doesn't keep humanity together. The building actually is what drives them apart. In eight short verses, human beings go from one people with one language, with one project, to many people with many languages, with many projects. Now, the story of Genesis 11 raises a whole bunch of questions. Some of the most important questions are, so is this just how it's going to be? I mean, is this the best that human beings can do? Will humankind always be broken into pieces and scattered over the face of the earth? And is this what God wills for humankind? Because in Genesis 11, God is the one who scatters the people. And with all of these questions bouncing around in our brains, I'd like to tell another story. It's a story that we come back to often here at Pearl. It's found in Acts chapter 2. Uh, leading up to Acts chapter 2, Jesus has been crucified and resurrected. He's told his followers to wait for the pneuma, the wind, the spirit of God, who is going to come and fill them. And then Jesus ascends up into glory. So the disciples are hiding in an upper room and they're praying and they're fearful when all of a sudden there's this blowing of a violent wind that fills the whole house like a cloud. And we're told that a tongue descends, uh, parts into 12, 11 different parts, and lands and lies upon the head of each disciple. These disciples begin to speak, or at least to be heard, in different languages. They rush out into the streets, and because it just happened to be the day of Pentecost, people from all over the known world were in Jerusalem for the celebration. And when the disciples begin speaking in other people's languages or being heard in their own tongue, it caused the crowd and us to wonder, what does this all mean? That's what the story is supposed to wake us to ask. What does this mean? In fact, verse 12 writes, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? It's like the story itself is telling us to wonder about this question. And clearly, this story is the anti-Babel story. That's what we're beginning to see here. Genesis 11, everyone scatters. Acts chapter 2, everybody comes back together. Genesis 11, everybody speaks in different languages. Acts chapter 2, everyone hears a similar language. You see, this story is the beginning of the reunification of humanity. This story is the beginning of the end of those things that separate and divide and estrange one another. This story is the inauguration of distinctive inclusion in which different people from different parts of the world realize that they bear one image and are all filled with the same breath of God. And so what do they do? Oh, well, they start a project, right? They build a giant cathedral in order to keep them all together. Well, that is church history. But let's go back to the earliest story. 
We've already heard it in the Babel story. Building something together doesn't necessarily keep people together. No, in this story of distinctive inclusion, diverse human beings simply meet together. They share together. They pray together, sing together, eat together, worry together, and help together. I guess we could say that they simply and wonderfully live their lives together. An old, stubborn, slow-to-see Peter writes in one of his letters that when this happens, when humankind come together, that we are like living stones that are being built up into a spiritual house. Humankind, in their togetherness, somehow fashion a cathedral in which the divine abides. The building, the tower, the spiritual house, the cathedral, well, that is humanity together. It's us here now making room for each other, including one another, sharing ourselves and our stuff and eating and singing and helping and loving and living. And I think that is a marvelous story. For truly, that is a Christ story. But we religious people, (laughs) we religious people, We are so deeply part of the problem. Think like this. Behave like that. Love only that kind of person. And if you do, if you think and behave and love just like we tell you, then you can belong. In fact, we'll even place precious religious words upon your life, such as community or saved or Christian. What I'd like to ask is that way of thinking Uh, even Christian? Is that even Christian thought? I mean, let us not forget who Jesus had the most difficulty with. It was religious people. That's who Jesus had the most difficulty with. Religious people who felt so certain about who belonged and how to belong that when Jesus touched someone, quote, unquote, unclean, or when Jesus dined with someone, quote, unquote, sinful, The religious stared and pointed and full of astonishment would declare, you cannot do that. You can't do that. Why? Well, many religious people are certain that a person must conform in order to belong. But I'd like to ask, is the way of Jesus truly colonialism? I certainly hope not. I think we've already had too much of that in the world, haven't we? And this makes me think of another story, and it's a story that we've sung before, and I'm going to invite you to uh, sing it with me this morning. It's about a wee man named Zacchaeus. Anyone remember that song? Okay, it might be traumatizing for some of you. If that's okay, you don't have to sing. We're only going to sing a couple of verses, but we'll go, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Remember the motions? He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And we'll go to the last verse. And as the Savior came that way, he looked up in the tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, You come down, for I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. Well done. Now, now if you if you didn't know that song, you are blessed. (laughs) We've sung this before at Pearl. It's a song that I wish we could sing again and again and again. It's an incredible song. The story is marvelous. 
there's this wee little man, Zacchaeus, and something, let's call it the pneuma, the wind, the spirit of God is moving him. And he wants to see this Jesus, but he's a wee little man. And, and the streets where Jesus is passing by are just lined with people. And like a child pushing through, he just can't make it. So he finds himself at the trunk of a sycamore tree, which is renowned for having a big trunk with branches pretty high up. And so try to picture this grown man who's a wee man, jumping, climbing, pawing, scratching. I mean, maybe he even recruited a couple kids to give him a boost, you know? And finally, he gets up into that branch, and Jesus is passing by, and he's yelling, Jesus, Jesus. And Jesus just happens to turn and sees Zacchaeus and points at him and says, I'm coming to your house today. And we feel so good about it. And we think that's the end of the story. But there's actually one more verse to the end of the story. Jesus said to him, salvation has come to this house because he too is a child of Abraham. And then the last verse in the story reads, for the son of man came to seek out and to save the lost. That should cause your brain to hurt just for a moment. For the son of man came to seek out and save the lost. Wait a second. This isn't about the divine. This isn't about the human one, Jesus, seeking out Zacchaeus. This story is all about Zacchaeus. Something moved in his heart. He tried to press through the crowds. He couldn't press through the crowds. He tried to climb the tree. He needed to get help climbing the tree. He stood on the branch and yelled out, this was all Zacchaeus. Or maybe it's always about God. Maybe it's always about God. Maybe the wind is always blowing and always stirring, and sure, we run and push and jump and climb, but, but what if finding God is never about us actually finding God? What if it's realizing that God has always found us, wherever we are, behind the crowd, lining the street, trying to get up the tree, finally making it in the tree, screaming or not, the divine is always finding us. You see, this is gospel truth, that Christ seeks us, that Christ insists on coming to our homes, that Christ dines with us. And at this meal, well, at this meal, every part of you is included. But here's the tricky thing for religious people. Let us not forget that the Christ seeks the other that the Christ insists on entering into the other's home, that the Christ dines with the other, and at this meal, every part of the other belongs as much as you. You see, this whole thing isn't about getting it right or saying it right or being right so that we can somehow be included in the right tribe that's building the right tower. No, for we are all included. And coming to realize this more and more, human beings join in the great mystery of creation in which we take a necessary step forward in the evolution as a species, which is human beings, including human beings. Perhaps that's the final step of our evolution, which is yet to take hold, human beings, including human beings. Human beings, including human beings, which simply and profoundly includes organ systems and uh, tissues and cells and molecules and atoms and particles, which are the building blocks of life for God, for God itself. We are all included. In coming to realize this more and more, we awaken to the reality that this whole world is a cathedral comprised of human flesh, which moves us to include the image of God in each spectacular, dirty, divine human being. I'll conclude with these words. Jesus, the Son of God. I like the phrase, the human one. 
Many call him the Messiah, which means the Christ, the, the anointed one. The one whom we, call, whom we Christians call Lord. This one dined with sinners, touched with his very own hands dirty people, who according to religious law would make him dirty as well. And on the night he was betrayed, he washed the feet of Judas, and he gave bread and wine to Judas, even though the text makes clear that Jesus knew Judas had been filled with the devil himself and had determined to betray him. And so, Pearl Church, whatever else may be said about being Christian, whatever else may be said about the writings of Paul, whatever else may be said about church history, this story is central to the life of Jesus. It sits at the pinnacle of all stories about Jesus, and it demands prominence in Christian life and perspective. And at any point, when belief or behavior become demarcations for who is in and who is out, then we must be the first among many to declare anti-reality, anti-God, anti-Christ. For in God we all move and breathe and have our being. There is no other way to exist. And so about this value of inclusion, we write, Jesus crossed all kinds of borders and barriers, especially to include the outcast and irreligious. Therefore, we value making room to include a diversity of backgrounds, views, and convictions, and especially those who are marginalized. Yes. Yes, in human flesh, all of human flesh together is built into a cathedral in which the divine dwells, and we learn to sing with one tongue. Hallelujah. For this is the dream of God. Let us pray. God, in whom we move, breathe, and have our being, wake us to recognize that every person belongs in life, in love, in you. We hope that this sermon inspired you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully. If you don't already support our work, will you begin today? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story.